Welcome to 11 Questions with Jaspreet Kaur, writer, educator, and poet, with passion for teaching, social justice, and spoken word. Her debut book, Brown Girl Like Me, is out now. Let's hear more about the book and the writing process from Jaspreet. Hi, Jaspreet. Welcome to 11 Questions. Hi. Thank you for having me. My first question for you is: Of the many hats that you wear, is there a favorite that you have? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question to start with. Really good one. I don't know if favorite's the right word, but I think out of the three, I I would say I'm an educator first. Um because I think no matter what work I'm doing, whether it's the poetry, whether I'm teaching in a classroom, whether I'm writing a book, I feel all of them have a mission to educate just in different ways and different mediums. So I think I think I'm always an educator first. Um I think I'll always be a teacher first and then figuring out new and interesting ways to to educate. So uh yeah, I think I'd say educator. <laughs> I love that answer. I found you as a writer. So mm. I want to know if you have always wanted to be a writer. Oh yes. I I think I've always been the biggest bookworm. I've I I was always that kid having my head buried in a book um as soon as i could read i was reading whatever i could find around the house my dad also is an avid reader as well so we would have history books science books atlases maps loads of different forms of literature fiction non-fiction lying around the house so as soon as i could read i was just picking up everything i could find newspapers um magazines so i've always been an avid reader and a big bookworm and my dad used to take us to the library once a week and i used to take out as many books as i could and and carry them all home and read them within the week so i could get some more the following week so i've always been in awe of authors i've really looked up to authors especially when i'd see names that sounded like mine or or looked like asian authors um i was always so drawn to that so i think i've known for a long time i always wanted to write a book um but it took me much later on in life to figure out exactly what that would be how did poetry come into play mm poetry poetry came into my life when i was about 13 about 13 14 years old i'd been studying poetry in school as many of us do within our english le- lessons at school but i started writing my own poetry as a form of therapy really i was using it as a way to navigate a lot of the for for thousands of years um so it's definitely a big part of our identity our history our heritage and i guess i feel really really happy seeing it really being kind of nurtured again in the current generation of young south asians across the globe bringing back this element of poetry in in new and exciting ways so i know when people see poetry they think okay how how does it work how how do you start writing um but i always tell people never to worry too much about making it sound poetic i think people get get caught up in trying to make it sound very flowery and romantic and and all these things about poetry but i always say that poetry is allowing yourself to be vulnerable with the page um and not to get too caught up in all those poetic devices and techniques but just let whatever's within you flow onto the page and and you'll find that it can turn into poetry yeah i think that's great advice for anyone who's listening and wants to write poetry because mm-hmm. i to the day think that it should rhyme at some point 
<laughs> which yeah, is not how it is but a big misconception that does it need to rhyme does it have to have rhyming couplets does it have to be written in verses and stanzas and I think everyone finds those those devices and techniques a barrier to get started so I always tell people forget all of that just get a pen start writing and just see what comes to you and, and before you know it you'll start forming poems even if you thought you never could and now you have written a book brown girl like me but before I get into the book what's mm-hmm. your favorite thing about brown culture oh my favorite oh there's so much I'm gonna have to say food because <laughs> that's 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 the first thing that came to me and I feel that is probably the best answer um, as a writer I should probably say the books the literature the poetry <laughs> but um I think one of the best things has to be our food um I'm there's a big no argument foodie. over there <laughs> there's no I, I don't think anyone's going to debate me on this so I I think my answer has to be food I'm a big foodie and I think the food from from South Asia is just so so delicious and so diverse depending on where you are and where you come from and even within certain regions you'll have so many different different cuisines going on so I think yeah it has to be food (laughs) and did brown culture influence your book and your work in general oh absolutely yeah I think for the book it was a huge influence. Um, I think it was one of the leading factors that one, what led me to write this book was my brown identity and brown culture was something that I, I wanted to feel proud of. It was something I wanted to explore a lot more, um, especially the fact that I may have been brought up in the Western world and, and born and raised in the UK, but my brown culture, my brown identity is still a huge part of who I am. And sadly, there was times within my life where I wanted to deny myself from my heritage and deny myself from my culture and I think that's something that a lot of us um, in the diaspora have gone through that initially when we're much younger when we're little we're surrounded by our culture and identity Um, I remember I could only speak Punjabi till I was about four years old and, and started school it was still a huge part of who I was but then as I got to kind of the teenage age I remember feeling a little bit embarrassed by it not wanting to be that attached to my culture because I thought to be cool and to fit in I needed to come closer to whiteness so there was a time in my life where I was denying myself from so many of the beautiful things that are a part of our cultures but as I got older and into my 20s that's when I first started to realize that okay there's there's a huge part of me that feels like it's missing and I'm not nurturing in myself enough I want to learn about who I am where I've come from and and listen to the stories of my parents my grandparents and really understand who I am Um, and I think that's when I started to really navigate that cultural journey of understanding where I've come from where and and where I'm going Um, and that was something I wanted to bring out in this book that even if you are born and raised in the western world or you've migrated to the west and you're navigating these different parts of your intersectional identity you can still feel pride in who you are and where you've come from and that's definitely what I wanted to show in this book that that there's so much within our culture our heritage our histories that I want us to to lean into and to find a sense of empowerment from Um, Because especially in in kind of the feminist space, which is kind of where my academic background also goes into, um, I did a master's in gender studies and really wanted to look into why is it within the feminist space, many South Asian women are not sure where they belong in those spaces, even though feminist ideals and, and feminist culture has been a big part of 
Asian history, when we look at it from a lens of, of white feminism, often what would happen is that white feminists would be telling Asian women that if they wanted to be strong, independent, fierce feminist women, that they would need to leave their faith, culture, identity behind. Whereas real feminism, intersectional feminism, which is definitely what we need to see much more of, is saying that you can bring your whole self to the table and you can still be a feminist, strong, independent, fierce woman. Um, so that was definitely something I, I wanted to, to really convey in the book as well. And why did you write this book? <laughs> why did I write it? I guess um, my main answer to that question, there's a number of different reasons for, for why I decided to write this book. There was the anger, the frustration, the, the tiredness of feeling like Asian women weren't being represented in the way that I saw them. For a long time, I felt that the Asian woman's voice was really missing um, when it came to us telling our own stories. So often people were telling our story for us or on our behalf. And I felt there was so little of it coming from us and a, and a real sense of erasure. But I think one of the main reasons I wrote this book was really because it was the book that I wish I had growing up. It's the book I, I wish it existed. And if I had a book like this, and we're calling it a toolkit, a guidebook, a, a manifesto, I think if I had this book growing up, I would have maybe not made as many of the mistakes that I ended up making, or perhaps I would have felt a lot confident, more confident in myself much sooner. Um, and I would have known how to navigate certain situations within the school, within the workplace, within the home. Um, I would have known how to navigate those things much sooner. So it really is a book I wish existed growing up. And I think that that definitely is the main reason why I wrote it. So many other girls and many other women like myself uh, never have to feel those feelings ever again. When you were writing, did you follow a routine? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I guess I did have a bit of a routine with my writing process, um, and I guess this is something that that lots of writers would, would definitely resonate with, that when it came to a book like this, which is a narrative nonfiction, um, my process of, of writing the book was a, a sense of a routine of taking time to research, and that would be an, in a number of different ways, reading academic texts, journals, researching in archives, um, reading both fiction, nonfiction, and then the interview process. Um, I interviewed about 150 women for, for this book. So interviewing other South Asian women from across the country um, and then taking time to, to sit there and write and, and collating all that evidence together and writing it into these chapters then proofing, editing um, till I got to the final point of it being complete. So I guess that was the writing process as a whole and the routine that I took for each chapter. But on, on a daily basis, there was a bit of a routine as well. Um, I would say I'm quite an organized person. I guess that's the teacher in me that's quite organized. So I would have quite a strict routine every day, which would start with um, a morning walk because um, I've got a big doggy whose name is Hida. So Hida would get us out every morning on a good one hour walk. And then I'd come back and meditate, try to work out um, if I could have some breakfast and then start my day and then my day would then look like how I mentioned that whole kind of writing process and then by the evening would try to get myself off the computer 
no more screen time and and then try to relax within the evening so during the during the two years of, of writing this book day in day out that was kind of the routine I had and considering it was during a worldwide pandemic and the whole world was in lockdown I guess doing some of those things making sure that I, I got outside went for walks meditated spent time out in the garden those things really did support my my mental well-being whilst writing this book because we were all dealing with a pandemic <laughs> during the time that that I did decide to write this book even though I had been researching and, and pulling ideas together for about six seven years um, it was really at the start of 2020 when I when I sat down and started writing this book and in March of that year the whole world turned upside down so <laughs> I just kind of had to navigate that like like many people had to um, as it happened. That definitely would have given you more time, though. No more social events. <laughs> yeah, I had nowhere to go. I had no one to see. <laughs> so I, I just had to write. <laughs> and was there something that you found challenging these two years? Yes, the pandemic was one. Um, I didn't. I didn't expect to be writing this book in those conditions. Um, I was. I was just about to start my research fellowship at Birkbeck University and as, as a part of that fellowship I was going to get my own office and I was going to be in central London right next to all the libraries and museums and I imagined that that was going to be the space that I write this book and it was all very romantic I kind of romanticized the whole idea in my head and obviously the pandemic happened and I was then working from home and we set up a, a small desk in the corner of my bedroom so it wasn't quite the way that I thought I was going to be writing this book but in hindsight when I look back at it now and I've mentioned this in, in the afterword at the end of the book I'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason and I think that this book was meant to be written within the home and it wasn't meant to be written in, in a fancy office in London or by in a, in a kind of fancy writer's retreat in the countryside or anything like that. I think it was meant to be written in the home because the home is really one of the most complex places that we as brown women have to navigate. There's a lot of different circumstances within the home that we have to go through, both positive and negative. And it can also be a haven as well. It can also be our safe space. It can also bring us much closer to who we really are. So I think this is where I was meant to write the book. I was meant to be at home. So yeah, even though that was definitely one of the hardest things at first, sitting in the corner of my bedroom now writing this book, I think in hindsight that it was meant to be that way. So uh, that was probably one of the biggest challenges. And if any of the listeners also want to write a book, what's a piece of advice you would share? I guess if you, if you want to write a book, and this is different from wanting to get it published, if you want to get it published, I think there's, there's definitely a bit more advice on what I could say there. But if you want to just start writing a book, my best piece of advice is to give yourself an amount of time every day, whether that's 10 minutes, whether that's 30 minutes, whether that's an hour. I think the consistency of giving yourself that time every single day to write is, is really, really important. And even if nothing fruitful is coming out of that time, even if you're sitting there writing the same old paragraph over and over again, just getting in that flow and that consistency, I think is, is one of the best pieces of advice that I was given. Um, and there's a really great book 
on this. It's it's called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And, and what she recommends is you take this time to free write every day. Uh, if you can, try and do it at the start of your day um, before you get distracted by emails and everything else coming through. Um, just take that time to free write every day. And I found that sometimes that's when my best ideas come to me. Um, so yeah, if you do want to write a book, give yourself that dedicated time every day because that's what you deserve. Um, and that's what your piece of writing or your book deserves and try to be consistent with it. And now here's a question for the bookworm in you. <laughs> if you were to be deserted on an island, which three <gasps> books would you take with you? Oh my God. Ah, oh, three. Okay. Oh, it would have to be, one of them would have to be a book by Bell Hooks, um, who sadly passed away recently. She, she was one of my biggest inspirations as, a, as an educator, as a writer. Um, I'd say her book, All About Love, is something that I look back, back to time and time again when I need to remind myself of how I want to love and how I wish to be loved. Um, so that's definitely one of them. Arundhati Roy's God of Small Things, I'm a huge fan of obviously it's a beautiful book I think the way it's been written is is truly just something that, that I've never seen before so god of small things and then oh what would my third one be I would have to say something poetic so maybe a poetry book by another South Asian woman just from the top of my head um Jasmine Kaur um, from Canada, her pieces of poetry are absolutely stunning. Rupi Kaur being obviously uh, now a household name across the world. So maybe a piece of poetry, a uh, poetry collection from one of my South Asian sisters would probably be the third one. And for our last question, if you were to pick one interesting life experience to share with us today, what would you tell us? An interesting life experience. Ooh. I was very fortunate enough for to, to take a year out to travel shortly after I got married. So my husband and I decided not to have a big Indian wedding um, for Indian standards. We decided to have a small wedding by our first home. And we decided to, instead of put that money towards a big wedding, we actually went traveling for 12 months. So we went backpacking. That's so smart. (laughs) (laughs) So smart. And definitely something I recommend for everybody. I know it's everybody's personal opinion on on how you would like to celebrate your own marriage or wedding. But we decided to put that money towards um, traveling. So we went backpacking around Asia for six months and then through Africa for six months. Um, Both both parts of those trips were absolutely incredible um, I'd always wanted to travel to Japan and Southeast Asia Thailand Vietnam but I think the second leg of the trip when we were camping through Africa we started from Cape Town in South Africa we went up the western coast into Central Africa and then up the eastern coast all the way up to Uganda that trip specifically was just a really spiritual time for me um, because we were camping the whole way no electronic devices no wi-fi um, we were away from most civilization especially when we were camping out in the middle of like the Namibian desert um, we of course went to some some city areas as, as well but I think when we were camping out in very rural areas we were away from from lots of civilization we were just kind of in the middle of nowhere and I think that was a really eye-opening experience for me that since I got back from that trip 
I would like to say I've been living a bit more frugally, um, less attached to material things because on that trip, you could only carry with what you could have on your back. And that would be one backpack. I had an 18 liter backpack and I could literally only carry what would fit in that bag. And the heavier it was, the more difficult it was for me to carry. And it taught me a really important lesson, both physically and metaphorically, that the more you carry with you, the more baggage you end up having. And, and sometimes that baggage isn't always good for you. So to, to let go of the things that no longer serve you, um, is something that that I'll I'll always hold hold with me. So I think that trip really really did change my life. That's so beautiful and poetic. I love that. <laughs> well, thank you, Jasprit, for answering all my questions and for being a guest on my podcast. It was so great talking to you. I always thank love you. speaking to brown women doing amazing things. But before I let you go, one last thing: Would you want to tell our listeners? If they want to buy your book, how can they do that? Absolutely. Um, if you'd like to grab a copy of Brown Girl Like Me, um, if you head to www.browngirllikeme.com, you'll find all the retailers um, that, that have the book available. Um, so it'd be amazing if you could purchase a copy, give it to your friends, give it to your aunties, give it to your sisters, your nieces, anyone you feel this book can help. Um, that would be incredible. Thank you.